Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, which hosted the New Orleans International Guitar Festival, featuring musicians from around the world, and Michael Conahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where Talent Fest 2019 will host food trucks, vendors, and live entertainment at War Memorial Stadium on Sunday, May 26th at 3 p.m. Thank you for joining us for Episode 12, Court of Public Opinion, which is a roundtable discussion with Adi, Nicole, Meredith, Tim, Yvonne, Sam, Roberta Glass, the host of Roberta Glass True Crime Report, and Talk Radio 49 co-host Brad Hicks. Tonight, we've assembled a panel of case watchers and researchers from around Facebook to discuss general claims made by advocates for people who have been convicted after a criminal trial, had their convictions upheld and on direct appeal, and have in some cases unsuccessfully pursued state and or federal post-conviction claims. We'll also talk about some of the tactics employed by official defense investigators and Internet sleuths who demand cooperation from witnesses and or alternate suspects, and use coercive tactics in an attempt to get a confession or admission of guilt. Finally, we'll talk about the extrajudicial claims usually seen on social media platforms but never presented in the courts. Good afternoon. It's afternoon. We're recording this, but we'll be playing it at night, so there's confusion. <laughs> 
and for me it's already nighttime, so good evening. That is good evening, and that is true, Yvonne. And when it plays live, it'll be morning for you. Well, th- this is confusing. So it's going to be good. So let's just say good day. And thank you for having us, Lisa. Thank you for being here. I I I heard this on another podcast, loved it, and thought let's you know let's put together our own panel and do do this and reinforce the things that were discussed on the other podcast because it is important to have that side of the of the story told. So. Um, First, let's quickly, uh, if y'all want to introduce yourselves, uh, we'll start with Adi. Oh, okay. Um, well, my my nickname is Adi. Um, I am I am from Adi. Yes, I am from uh, I I'm, I'm from Guatemala, but I currently live in Mexico. And I started in you know being into true crime with the West Memphis Three. And I joined the group of, well, I call my, I call them my friends now, in which we, we started listening to podcasts, especially the Bob Ross podcast, and uh, we started doing our own research about this and other cases, and, and we are, and here we are, we're trying to, to, to research, to do our own research, to, to come up with our own conclusions, and, and, you know, there are a lot of of misleading statements being put out in the in social media so so we we try to to, to read everything to get transcripts to do stuff so we can so we can uh, address all this claim great and that is that's how I got started similarly um of course I started in the early early days of the internet so the resources were not as widely available as they are today. And yeah, how about, lucky that, uh, lucky that we have, all, uh, you know, the internet, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it, it, ha, it, it can be used for evil or for good. We're trying to use it for yes. good instead of evil. Yes. And Roberta? Yes. Um, I'm Roberta Glass. I host the Roberta Glass True Crime Report. Thanks for, um, having me, um, I got interested in cr- true crime, I guess, with the Menendez brothers case. But um, I guess I revisited it a little bit uh, when I learned that everything I knew about the West Memphis Three case was wrong. <laughs> that I w- had been bamboozled by the movies. And then I followed um, in through Serial. And I guess I got I got started um recording myself and my opinions because I was just so angry about the way that that case was presented where the victim was not even given an entire episode or even really acknowledged. And it was all about um, glorifying the murderer and making a murderer look innocent and leaving out really significant evidence. So I got, um, so it became a habit and now I am been attending, I've been going to the, hearings and now the trial uh, for the Nexium trial here in New York where I live so that's my story okay and Yvonne uh, yeah well I I kind of got hooked on true crime I mean first of all uh, 
I'm Ivan, I, I'm from Serbia, so and then, there, there you go. And I got hooked on true crime actually when I was quite little. I think I might be the, the youngest here. So I was very little and my mom used to watch uh, ID, like uh, Identification Discovery. And I loved watching all the true crime documentaries. I usually fell asleep because I was like nine or something and they ran at nine o'clock and then I fall asleep around 10. But that's that's where I started liking true crime and I, I, I loved all, you know, the classic shows like Poirot, you know, uh, like uh, Sherlock Holmes, stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. eventually, a year ago, I absolutely by accident stumbled upon the West Memphis 3 case uh, when it was the so it was the 25th of May it was the anniversary of the uh, of the killings like 25 year anniversary and i just instantly got hooked to the case it was it was li- like a rabbit hole like a vortex just pulled me in uh-huh. i just started digging and digging i read gary's books i heard william's podcast i heard roberta's podcast your podcast every single podcast i could find find i just devoured it all and really it, it just like i i never was a part of the true crime community like facebook or forums of it or anything i just used to read and watch but then with the west memphis 3 case i just got hooked because all the I don't know, the, the case just has a tendency of pulling people in on both sides. Whatever you believe, innocent or guilty, you just get hooked and you can't get out. It, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, and I, I, yeah. I, enjoy it. I enjoy it from a true crime perspective and from a psychological perspective of, of uh, like, just what, what it does to people. And then it's extended the whole, the whole thing, like the innocence fraud it extended to other cases that I got interested in, although I'm not that that knowledgeable about them, but like Avery, Amanda Knox, and Adnan, and so on and so on, and they all all share some similar patterns, so they're all they're all kind of interesting. So yeah, that's my that's my true crime story in a nutshell. And that's a great, and it's a common theme, I think, for all of us. I follow. I read Helter Skelter when I was like 12 or 13. Mom thought I was too young, so she wasn't happy about it. But with the advent of the internet, the information just became so much more easily accessible that it does. It pulls you in, and you you can't get away from it, even when you try to get away from it. I've tried to walk away from West Memphis Three several times over the last 22 years that I've been researching it and, and following it and talking about it. And every time you think you're out, they just pull you back in. It's basically a life sentence. Yeah. No parole. No parole. (laughs) So, all right. So we have a, Meredith and Nicole are uh, having some technical issues, um, and I'm going to post the phone number again so that they can uh, they can join us. Um, and then we've talked a little bit about the cases that we follow, and uh, um, we can, I guess, just go into start going into the uh oh okay michael says we have one on hold uh whoever's on hold they can come on live and we can try and introduce everybody before we start 
rolling. How do I get in online? Oh, there you go. There you go. Hi. <laughs> Who's this? It's Nicole, hey, I believe. It's Nicole. Hi, it's Nicole. Nicole. Okay. Hi. 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 Okay, I did it right. <laughs> Hi. Thank you yeah. for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. And uh, I just wanted to point out there is on the uh, page that I posted, there is a Skype link. Okay. That you can click on. I think that will bring you if you if you want to come through Skype. Okay. Instead of your cell phone. But uh if you're if you're good on your cell phone we can uh Yeah, I think I'm good. We can just keep I'm fine. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Well we introduced everybody. We were just going through introducing the participants. So uh if you want to take a minute and introduce yourself. Uh, or a couple minutes, and and the cases that you've started researching and and following. Okay, I am. Um, uh, I'm from upstate New York. I am a nurse, but I've always had a love for anything dramatic like this. When I was younger, I used to watch all those crazy uh, Lifetime movies that. Have- had all the different, you know, crimes on them and everything. And then they got me into wanting to know real stories. So I started to do, like, research in the library and looking at stuff that really was happening. But back then it wasn't big on, like, the Freedom of Information Act and all of that. So you couldn't get any court transcripts. So I paid more attention to the books. And um, it was really, I think it was, like, pretty much the McDonald case. That was, like, my first introduction to something that was going to have me obsessed. My parents mm-hmm. were really big on that one. So um, that just got me into it. And I, I think now that I am middle-aged, I wish that I had gone like a totally different way in my career because I really want, I really would have loved doing something with this, <laughs> anything. So, um Well, it's a it's a hobby that becomes like a job. Sometimes. Oh yes, it is. It takes a lot of your time to look at So, all right. Um, are we okay, Nicole? Yeah, Nicole just dropped. Hopefully, she'll be able to get back in with the Skype link. Um, and we're waiting on Meredith. Um. So I guess if we want to move into uh, discussion or yeah, I think kind of a democracy here. Yeah. <laughs> or do we want to just wait for, you know, wait for Nicole and Meredith to come in? We can um, take a break uh, and then let Meredith introduce herself when she gets in. All right, so we have – there are a lot of themes, and they run almost consistently through case by case by case. Um, and so I think when it, we could just kind of throw them around a little bit. One of the, the biggest ones that I notice is the idea by untrained individuals that – there is a one-size-fits-all 
for police investigations. You always do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And that there's no room for uh, any originality or you have to do it that way or your investigation doesn't count. Well, to me, the uh, for example, that... I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, one, of, one of the examples is that, uh, you know, the allegations by several people that in the West Memphis 3 case, uh, the police didn't canvas the neighborhoods where Steve and Michael and Chris lived, and therefore they missed information when Steve and Mike and Chris weren't found near where they lived. They were found a distance from where they lived. I have something to say just a little bit more general oh. on your team, which is the idea sure. that the police, the investigators are all out to close the case. They don't care about the truth. They're perfectly happy with framing uh, and uh, a guilty guy 100% of the time. And it's a sort of like the man is bad. The investigator, the police officers, the investigators are all the man. The uh, suspects or um, the, the person on trial is the hero, the little guy fighting the man, and that the man has so much power and money, and it's just like a little guy up against the man. I mean, that's the number one criticism I get about my podcast is that I would never think that someone would be falsely convicted. Bring me those cases. It's like as if I don't look into the cases at all, that I just assume that everyone's guilty and I don't look into both sides, but it's really hard to, it's not easy to convict someone, right? Right. Can we say Correct. that? Yeah. I mean, Correct. I think there's a false sense. I, I wonder how much people are. Uh, paralegal, you, you work in that field, you know what it takes to, to uh, what's the, you know, that there are, procedures and um, what do you call it um, standards of evidence and laws right, right? So and, and rules like you could yeah it'd be so easy to pin an innocent and also I've heard all the time that there's no evidence they had there was no evidence Correct. against the West Memphis three and I always say well that was a short trial the prosecutor stood up and said sir we have jury we have no evidence they wear black T-shirts, they listen to Metallica, and they all voted to convict, right? I mean, we right. know that's not true. All three of these, all three of the convicted in the West Memphis Three, and they're still uh, guilty at law, uh, confessed at some time. Uh, there was a significant evidence when you talk about fiber evidence, when you talk about no alibis, I and mean, we could go on and on all day. And Lisa, and I also want to give you really credit for debating this case with Bob Ruff, which was not easy to do. You made it look easy, but it oh. was obviously not easy to do. And something that you really didn't get, um, I, I think you're due for, because I can't, I can't believe how beautifully uh, you handled all that and, and did it. I would have been banging my head against the wall. But um, so it's a hard case to d debate if, if, if someone can't uh, acknowledge the evidence. So then what are you debating? If someone's not acknowledging that ev any of the evidence is, is substantial or correct, then then you're in the realm of fantasy, right? Right, exactly. Thank you very much. I 
I appreciate that. I uh, I was disappointed with that when I listened to it, and that's why I did not follow through and have him appear on my show because I thought that that was kind of a uh, uh, he didn't do right by me. That's for sure. No, I mean that's oh, not yeah. unusual. As any any Ann Brocklehurst and you can both correct. Just wait for the results to start coming. You know, after you've generously donated your time and energy to it, too. You know, so I, right. I, I was disappointed too by uh, by by the way you were treated and the way Ann Brocklehurst was treated on his show. But thank you for yeah. um, representing our side of. I really appreciate it so and doing it so beautifully. Thank you. It was very it was very brave of you and I was mad as well that you know all of all of his followers weren't were rude as well and he didn't defend you and that was I mean that was just not right at, at all. So I'm sorry. So and that's, I don't mean to be taking I, you I, off on a, a side tangent. Oh no. But I just, no. I think, you were talking about, about procedures and why they didn't canvas the whole neighborhood. I mean, you can poke holes in the investigation, but has there ever been any real suspect, real suspect besides the two grieving stepfathers that they've, that they've tried to pin it on? Has anything really stuck? I mean, really? No, no. And I think that's the other, you know, the other theme that they follow is the tunnel vision, which I think is what you – are are kind of alluding to that police decide on a suspect the day they find the body and then they only look for the evidence that fits that suspect and they ignore anything else well you know that's not that's not really what happens but that's their perception of what happened Uh, but they can't prove that that's what happened no, and their theories um, change all the time. For example, in the Adnan case, the case where um, Heyman Lee was murdered, they're, they're, they've changed from it was Jay the, because he had all the information to they fed Jay all the information, and now it's the other, her boyfriend at the time, Don. I mean, they, they don't even have a, 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 a theory that stays the same. Yeah. I mean, there's only one truth, right? And it's very simple. Truth is usually pretty simple, right? It's not a right. Um, well, that's been my experience living living on planet Earth. Um, but again, in this day and age, I have my truth, and he has his truth, and she has her truth. True. And they they can be mutually exclusive. Right. You know, we we heard that a lot during the whole Kavanaugh thing. Well, she's speaking her truth. The truth is one thing. Good yeah, point. True or it's not note, true. On on the note that Roberta mentioned, like um, the like the the poor underdog fighting the big bad man. Which is a common theme in in these in innocence fraud cases. Let's call them that. Uh, the the really interesting fact is that people think that like in the West Memphis three case, you had two police officers or three three of them, if I remember correctly, stumbling around a, a muddy ditch and finding three mm-hmm. dead kids, and they're just going on. Oh yeah, like we're gonna frame somebody for this. 
I just like on a human note. Right. Can you imagine stumbling upon three corpses of dead children? The, your first thought is, who the hell could have done this? You know, like who could have done such a thing? And you're not thinking, oh, I'm gonna frame that weird-looking guy down the corner that wears a Metallica T-shirt. That's like in fantasy mm-hmm. land. That's something that angsty teenagers that the whole world is against them, which, uh, truth be told, I was kind of like that when I was little. Uh, you were always thinking, oh, everybody is against me, but then you grow up and then you learn a few things and you, you learn that sometimes by behaving a certain way, people treat you a certain way. And let's be honest, Damien right. acted a certain way and he was treated the, the, the way he acted. And the way he acted was not just weird or angsty or something he called himself a psychopath, a sociopath, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, he talked about, uh, about weird things, but, uh, I don't want to get caught on that specific case in, in general. It's like, oh, they just decide to frame it as somebody. Let's take Adnan. They, mm-hmm. they find by admission of somebody, they find a corpse of a young girl of an 18 year old or 17 year old girl. They're, I, I don't understand people who can dehumanize the police officers and prosecutors or anybody involved in the case so much that they think that the first thought in their mind is to frame somebody. No, it's not their their job is to catch whoever did it. And they do that job so you know, I can't I can't imagine me stumbling upon a dead body what what I would be feeling. And those people do that for a living. They they do that for us, you know? And and it's right. crazy to me that people would suggest that they would ever, you know, think about framing someone. I'm not saying that it never happened in the history of time, but let's be honest. Usually people that get framed, they're not some goody-goody two-shoes that never done anybody harm. They're, mm-hmm. they're in One way or another, they're on the police radar, you know. One way right. or another, it, does, it doesn't matter. Maybe they're not as guilty as, as people think. Maybe they're guilty of some small crimes and they get locked up for bigger crimes, but it doesn't matter. They're always on the radar uh, uh, for some reason. So And, and, and frame-ups, uh, literally, when you think about the whole history of law enforcement, you can look back a thousand years of law enforcement, you know, frame-ups were were even in i i think like even if you look back in the medieval ages they were rare you, you it just didn't happen as often as people would like to think it makes for a great story you know oh he got framed yeah that's a great story it's not uh, his guilty is not a great story it's a shitty story with a short ending he's guilty he got convicted that's it right and i would also expect if they're going to frame someone um, then they would immediately go and pick that person up for questioning or arrest them. In West Memphis 3, it was almost a month before Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly were arrested. Adnan Syed, uh, hey, disappeared on the 13th of January. Her body was found February 9th. It was the end of February before he was arrested. Um, and there are a couple other cases where it was months or years before an arrest was actually made. How is that not performing a proper investigation? How do you equate that with not performing a proper investigation and just settling on the convenient suspect? Well, I think it's because um, people 
uh, especially the ones in the in, in the supporter side usually they usually like to to they don't they don't read the case they they watch the documentaries they just um they they don't get themselves informed like they should and the thing is that well to me not all crimes are identical and uh well I'm, mm-hmm. i have no in, 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 I mean, I'm not a lawyer or anything, but I believe each case will be judged on its own merits as well. So you can't really apply the same type of investigation for it for all cases, especially because not all approaches can or will fit uh, on the cases or the offenders or the MOs or the crime scenes or even the law enforcement resources, because that's another thing that that most supporters think that, you know, that the cops and the detectives and the prosecution has all the resources in the world to crack the case five minutes after it's, it's, it's done. And, and no, I mean, I don't think the police will arrive at a crime scene and have, you know, like, like you said, Lisa, like a cheat sheet of step one, step two, step three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, it, it ha- they, they have a process already and you have to trust that process. I mean, um, that's why when if you go to your house and it's ransacked, what do you do? You call the police. So I don't understand this mentality, this new mentality that the police is bad. If this, if that's the first, the first one to call if something happens to you. Right. Exactly. All right, and I think we are being joined by two additional panelists. So we'll pause. Um, hello. Hello. Hi, Meredith. Hi. Yes. How are you? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I glad you. glad you made it. That's wonderful news. It was quite a little feat getting in. Thank you for having yes, me. Yes, I know. Thank you for for taking time out of your day, and I want to thank everybody for taking time out of their Saturdays to uh to participate in this um we'll go back meredith uh, why don't you introduce yourself and uh tell us a little bit about the cases that you have followed that got you started in the true crime arena absolutely i'm actually a latecomer to new crime um it started when a number of people told me about making a murderer and that had just come out and um You know, I saw it on Netflix. I started the first episode, I want to say, at like 7 at night. Around 3 in the morning, I was slapping myself to stay awake because I was so enamored by it. And um, when I first saw it, I was horrified at the way these two victims, air quotes, were being exploited by the police and how their disabilities were being exploited. And I started reading. And I read more and read more, and I realized how guilty they were. And I was really surprised that two women from New York would produce a documentary that made a monster look like a victim. And um, I've been harassed online ever since. Yeah. And that's another, and that's that's another, another common theme. Aspect. Yeah, another yeah. common theme with innocence fraud is people speaking the opposite get harassed all the time. And, um, and then I... I had no idea that this world was out there and that there was, I really didn't. For the majority of my life, I had no idea that people went online and sort of just looked for people to unload on. And the amount of abuse 
I have taken over the past couple of years since that has been out is really shocking. And it's not even um, there. They, it's not the, these people don't argue with my arguments or are able to, you know, deconstruct them. They just sort of personally attack you and somehow Correct. think that makes your arguments invalid. Correct. And that, and that, thing, that thing is what we all have in common, that we all have been harassed personally, you know, in private messages. I mean, I have never, ever blocked anybody, anyone from my Facebook until I started with the true crime world. And I have a lot mm-hmm. of people blocked. It's scary. It ends up, it ends up being scary, you know, how, they, how, can they, how easily they can, uh, they can contact you and harass you. And the funny part is that a lot of new people that, that are coming, they don't know what they're getting their, themselves into, and we try to tell them just be careful, and they just won't listen. So they're in for a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, that is hard. I've always looked at it when when they personally attacked me, I knew that I had made a big point against them. And it may yeah. not have had any effect on them, but somebody else reading, it might have an effect on that person. And that puts yeah. the information out there. And that's what is important. So. They don't like it. It usually takes those no. uh, two ways. Either they ignore you when they know they can't argue with you anymore, and it's, and the argument just stops, it flat out stops, or they start harassing you personally. So mm-hmm. either way, if that happens to you, it means you you, you probably said something right. So. And, and that's the reason for the har- harassment because they want you to shut up, not because they're because you're changing their mind but because they see how convincing you can be and how you can convince bystanders who are not as invested as them. They're so invested emotionally in it that you can never change their mind. But somebody reading, like, just interested in the case, they start reading, see you making concise arguments, they might flip. And and that's why they want you to shut up. You need to shut up because stop making sense. Correct. I, I yeah, have a theory is. that they actually don't have much interest in the case because the people I've interacted in with in the Avery world um, don't seem to know much about the case. I think they're just people that are very angry in their personal lives and want somewhere to log on to and just attack people and be vile because when you look at the majority of their discussions, it really doesn't have anything to do with the case. They just want to unload on people. And mm-hmm. um, if you're going to spend that much time discussing a case, you should actually discuss the case. But they just sort of use it as a avenue to attack people because I think they are unhappy in their lives and they just want a reason to unload on people. Right. That's true. Right. And, it does, and it doesn't matter if you're nice or not because I am not one to be insulting people on the Internet. And I have received insults and, and, and I am nice. I have never, I've never said anything. So they don't mind if, if you insult them, if you tell things to them, they don't mind. They just they just unravel on you and they start rambling and, and it just won't stop. And like Meredith said, yeah. you started talking about the case and you end up talking about just something else, just arguing about, no, you shut up. No, you shut up, you know? <laughs> right. And there's also the, um, the move the goalpost strategy that some employ, which is I make a point – and they don't address the point I made, 
But they say, oh, but what about this? Why this? Uh, the what so they about change this? the subject. Yeah. And and they don't address the point. They change the subject to move the goalpost. For you, for them to accept your argument, they're moving the goalpost for you. So it's going to be that much harder. And and I again, I come from. I've been in the West Memphis three world a little bit, and those supporters are really dedicated to harassment. They're not as bad as Avery supporter. You know, Avery. I'm sorry, Avery supporters aren't as bad as West Memphis three supporters. But the Avery supporters, what they love to do is take individual pieces of the case and discuss them and say, well, there must have been. There's always police corruption. Everything was planted. But they'll go piece of evidence by piece of evidence, but not one of them can explain how all of the evidence was planted. How Correct. They, and, they, and even Kathleen Zellner can't. So what they'll do right. is take something that could possibly look suspicious, and then that one little tiny piece is enough to dismiss a mountain. Mm-hmm. And they'll just keep changing topic to topic to topic. And the other thing that recently I've noticed about supporters is they're not – they're not aware of current things in the case. So they're still harping on what happened in 2005 from, and then 2016 from the docu- documentary, but Kathleen Delner has done a whole host of testing that disproves their arguments. And even Kathleen Zellner said the blood, didn't, you know, the blood didn't come from the vial. It came from active bleeding at the time of the crime. But the supporters mm-hmm. are still arguing three-year-old dated arguments. And if you're going to go online and, and unload on people all day, I would figure you could take the 10 minutes to read a three-page motion, but they don't seem to want to. No. And that's also <laughs> a common theme is, is dodging the, the whole bunch of research that needs to be done before you can discuss a subject. And then they get mad, and it, it's really it's, – it's a it's a crazy world out there. People start arguing with you, and then you tell them like, "Have you read this or that?" And they're just like, "Oh no, that doesn't count. It I never read it, and it doesn't count. Whatever you think it says, it doesn't say that." Uh, and taking again the West Memphis Three case because it's so famous and so close, uh, you know, to to all of us. Um, they they take uh, they take like a certain piece of evidence, w- what you said, Meredith, and. Uh, blow it out of proportion and ignore the whole, the whole, the the bigger picture, which is which is kind of the point in circumstantial cases. You have all these small pieces of evidence that fit neatly inside a puzzle, and if you find one piece that doesn't fit fit as neatly as it's supposed, to, it's like oh, the whole puzzle is is broken. It's not, you know, it's just like one piece possibly doesn't fit from the angle you're looking at it, but as a whole. It, it fits pretty neatly, and which, which is really frustrating when people want to discuss minutia and and think that it's getting them somewhere. When you know you cannot ignore, you know you can't ignore ten things in a row just by dismantling or quote unquote dismantling one, thinking that you dismantled it, you know, and and you just actually right. you just try to brush it off. And you don't even do that successfully. And even if you did, it wouldn't change much in the big, in the overall scheme of things. Well, right. I think what the Avery supporters have been so successful at doing is making caricature. Hi, Meredith. I'm sorry to hear you. Car- How are you? 
Very well. Caricatures and villains out of the um, out of the non side or the opposition. So you have Ken Kratz has been made a villain and a caricature. Um, Lynn Hartman, who I've had on my show, interviewed and uh, yes. got a lot of flack for it. Um, you know, they make they make it about personality and even about my personality. You know, instead, it's great right. because you don't have to talk about the evidence. Let's just say we don't like Ken Kratz. He's a bad guy, and which which I don't happen to believe that, but that's their position. So he did bad things. We we don't have any proof that he did bad things, but he could have. It's in the realm of, of fantasy of what could have happened, right? Right. So right. You're, I mean, you're not. It's a great way to not talk about the evidence. It's just to insult people, and that's especially something that's just specific to the Avery case, I find, more than any other case, is it's about personality. And when they started to attack me, I started to talk about Stephen Avery's history of raping his knees, um, <clears throat> of harassing women, uh, you know, I mean, it's murdering Unbelievably women. Unbelievably physically abusive to every woman abusive. he's been with and their children. Right. Putting mm-hmm. his, putting his um, first wife in a, a battered woman shelter. And that really shut them up very quickly. I mean, I don't mind dealing with unpleasant people. I'm from New York. You know, I, I deal with unpleasant people all the time. <laughs> but if you want to talk about the case, talk about the case. Don't, you know, don't talk about my personality or someone else's personality. That's right. really, you know, not important. And they're not well, interesting to me, at least. The Avery supporters like to say that every woman he's ever known is lying. Um, that he has been an absolute doll and a dream of a man, um, and that all these women and children are lying, including his niece, um, uh-huh. the entire state, every cop, every judge, the FBI, the majority of his family, the media, it's all liars, and he is the only truthful person in Wisconsin. Right. And, um, and he's all back. And it's a great fall of that poor woman. And Lynn Hart- I'm sorry. And Lynn Hartman yeah, Lynn. was a was a who was engaged to him and who was an avid supporter. She's a gold digger. Like that's where a gold digger wants to go to an incarcerated person. They just can't, you know, can't wait to hook up with them. That's so there was a reason. As soon as she started dating him, and this was both sides were were up in arms over Oh, she's just using him for money. Well, in reality, he's sitting in a jail cell in Wisconsin. He's never getting out, nor does he have money to buy himself, like, masking tape. So she's not really getting anything from him, but they jumped all over her because they foresaw that she may later say something negative about him, so they attacked her character right away. So later when she did, well, she's a gold digger and a liar and needs to say things for money. Again, she talked about the Avery family. Yeah, yeah, the Avery family has a quite a lucrative thing going, getting donations for mom and pop, and uh, you know, I think that they thought she might cut into their uh, their business. You know, I almost feel bad. I might put a stop to them doing it. I'm one one of the few people that feel badly for the families. I, you know. Like the Avery family, after he did this and everybody knew he was guilty for 10 years, their business failed. They really struggled financially. Um, And, you know, I almost feel badly for the criminal's family because they just get crapped on. 
and their lives are, are destroyed from this. And um, I, I just, you know, the families on both sides, you, you feel horrible for. And then I can't imagine being the victim's family and watching the person who murdered and burned my daughter being treated like a hero. I can't imagine anything. Right. Like and, you right. know, I just, I think the, guilt or, the guilty person's family is as much as victims as the innocent person. Because they didn't want, you know, they didn't answer this. They just have a sociopath as a child. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anything compares to losing your child, though. I don't think it's an equal loss. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think that's what you're saying. But I don't think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, the, the, you know, the person who did this, when you look at the rest of the family, they get their lives are destroyed because of it. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I feel badly for them, not to the degree of the victim's family, but that's not, it's not fair to them either. And they get attacked, too. But sometimes I wonder, though, did they enable some of his behavior over well, the years? You know, oh, he didn't really do anything. She wasn't hurt. Uh you know, the police are just picking on him. You know, I, and I let him and even let him get away with terrorizing them. Because I've heard there was some issues with him and his parents. Yeah, from he It's rumor, I, but I understand that he grew up and his father was really physically abusive to his mother and that was sort of the culture there. So that's okay. what he his mother tied him to a tree when he was six. And misbehaved, and, and he said something along the lines of, if you want to act like an animal, I'm going to treat you like one. So when you look at his brothers, they have an extensive history of physical violence. So that's from the environment of being grown up in that situation. Right. You know, but his so two I, brothers didn't kill anyone. He did. Right. Yet. See, I, I can't feel parents who kind of created the monster with their poor choices and behaviors I can't feel as sorry for them especially like I said if they enabled it to agree by to a degree by always finding an excuse to justify it well I, I wonder how much you know like the Avery parents I wonder they probably know he did it but as your child, your job, you know, in life is to protect them. So I wonder how much they know. And, right. you know, you know, for a parent, I, I don't know what you would do. I, I think very few parents would be like, he's guilty, let him rot. Um, My mother what, was of that mind because there were always consequences for your actions. Yeah, I and, you know, it's. It's one of those things where, and and what's worse is the person in jail. Like if they had any, if they loved or cared about their, same thing with Adnan Syed. If he loved his parents, and he should just be like, I did it. I'm going to take the consequence, and then we could end the charade. But you know, right. part of the parents aren't sure whether you know, I'm sure whether or not he did it. They don't want to think so, so they spend their lives trying to get him out rather than the kid just having. In t- doing the right thing by his parents and saying, I did this. I deserve this consequence. And just going All right. Back and we have uh, that. Do we I, have somebody that, else that joined us? I was I'm up. here again. I don't know if, I, if you can hear me, but I keep having all these problems. Hi, uh, Nicole. Oh, Nicole. <laughs> I'm so sorry. 
That's we okay. may, so we may have to do a do-over just to get the technical glitches worked out. I know. Um, I'm good. I'm just listening. And, I, so. and Blog Talk won't let us call in any sooner than 15 minutes. Huh. So that's all you have to get it to get it right is 15 minutes. Well, I think I'm okay so, now. And we don't I, have, just, I just bought like a subscription, too, while I was sitting here. So I think I'm better. Okay. And we have Meredith join us. Is there anybody else that hasn't introduced themselves? I think we're I think we're we're in okay. right now. Okay, I think we're good. All right. I just I just I want just to make sure some poor poor person isn't sitting there going, Well, what about me? What about me? <laughs> All right, Ivan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> no 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 poor people, I hope. Uh, I just wanted to go back quickly to what was discussed, like everybody lying about the Avery case, and now about, let's be honest, about every other case where people want to claim that a convicted person is actually innocent. The only way it works is that everybody lied. Every single person that claimed that the person not convicted of the crime did it is lying. And the the problem with that is that, first of all, I mean, when when things start stacking up, like one person lied, two people lied, three people, four, five, ten, twelve, when when does it stop? When do we say, okay, not everybody can be lying. This is too much lying for anyone to comprehend. Correct. And the other thing is that people get so emotionally invested in somebody's innocence, they they start uh, they start actually actually. Uh, they internalize it as part of their self, you know, as part of their person. Is is uh, is the other person being innocent? Is, is it's part of them then? And if they start, if they turn around and say, "Okay, I'm I'm starting to believe that he he did it," uh, it it starts to it, it really it starts to to how how, how do I say it? like it hurts them. It's like it causes right. extreme cognitive dissonance. And what they have to do is bend reality so they can keep their their self-esteem, basically, because nobody wants to, nobody uh, uh, willingly wants to. I mean, most of most people don't want willingly to support some murderer, you know. And once they got, get invested so much, it it gets it it gets too expensive for them to pull out and say, okay, I was wrong. But I was advocating for this person years and years and years. What am? How am I going to look myself in the mirror? Take take again Westminster Three or Avery or Adnan. That that person killed another person, and I was advocating for them. For me, if I'm wrong in any of those cases that I think the people did it, uh, the only thing I have to do is say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I I I was wrong. You know, and I I didn't cause any harm." I didn't insult anybody. I didn't, you know, I didn't cause any harm. I just had an opinion, which is not, I mean, it's not as bad as thinking that a person that killed three children or or uh, or uh, a young girl is is innocent, which is which is kind of horrible for for anyone to comprehend, you know. So nobody wants to right. support that person willingly and knowingly that they are guilty. So they have to keep on believing that everybody lied like uh, you have to believe people when they say things and 
you believe Damien, I mean, the supporters believe Damien Eccles when he tells them this or that. They believe Jason Baldwin. Why don't they believe um, uh, Fogelman when he says, my children wore black shirts. I did not convict mm-hmm. them. I did not prosecute mm-hmm. them because of black shirts. Why don't they believe him? They believe Damien Eccles when he says this or that. And they don't believe the other people involved in the case. Why is that? Well, I can absolutely no, 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 no
unless you killed three boys at, at a site. But that's what I think they really exploited very well, that feeling of being outsiders. And all of these people who go online screaming are the ones who felt like outsiders as teenagers, which, by the way, every right. teenager feels. That's a universal teenager thing. But I think that's why, especially West Memphis Three supporters, are so nuts because they were that kid when they were in high school. Mm-hmm. The thing is, that not only with the, with the West Memphis Three documentaries, it's with every documentary. I mean, uh, if you see the Amanda Knox documentary, it's, it, documentary, it starts with her, you know, giving her cat mm-hmm. something to eat. And then if you go to the, you know, to the new Ednan Sayed case, you know, the HBO documentary series, it started with, with Adnan's mom, you know, taking care of his, um, what was it, uh, the daycare and everything. Daycare. So immediately, immediately, they, they, they start to, to, to show like a human side of, of well, the other side. And, and social media does that too. I mean, they, may, they have made people become empathetic to the wrong people and the wrong causes. So people are willing not only to accuse but support the murderers. And and again on this on this social media phenomenon, in my opinion, things are just backwards when it comes to the true crime community. I mean there are far more forums supporting the convicted or, or the wrongly accused quote unquote with uh with people that have little to no knowledge about the cases. They just see the documentaries, they just hear the podcast and automatically they're innocent. And that's it. And and that's what right. that's what things get getting very messy, you know, with the arguments and insults and stuff. Right. And um, so I'm sorry, that's guys, something I'm it, have to I, I think I have a prior engagement, but thank you so much okay. for having me. And thank we saw you see on the Avery page we'll be battling people. Let me know if you need anything. Oh yes. Definitely thank you. With <laughs> Thank you. Have a good night. I'll see you guys. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right. Yeah, no, I've seen um, in West Memphis 3, and uh, I've seen Robbie Chaudhry say, you know, the police are lying to the family. And, oh, I wish I could talk to the family and tell them the truth. Oh, please. But and that is, it. uh, it's just, it, it's, the idea she's very good at um packaging the story and putting well, it out there she based her whole game plan on the west memphis 3 you know that's right. how she saw the documentary and then she she wrote sarah Koenig. but uh she doesn't even have a i don't know what cohesive story she's going to tell the uh, parents of Heyman Lee, uh, you know, she doesn't even have a cohesive story. So what is she talking right. about? And all these stories are in broad strokes. So, you know, Amanda Knox was slut shamed or, you know, of course, that the, you know, when we talk about the DNA in Amanda Knox case, the, the, Amanda Knox supporters really want us to believe that all the DNA that implicates her and uh, Raffaello Selecito, uh was contaminated and faulty, but all the DNA that 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 implicates Rudy is exactly right and correct, and he was the sole killer. I mean, is that right. not plausible? I mean, it just falls apart. But in broad strokes, it seems like 
oh, that maybe could happen. They lived together, blah, 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 you know, meaning Meredith Kircher lived with Amanda Knox together, so perhaps their DNA could co-mingle, but they're not really just talking. They like to call blood DNA, you know, mixed DNA, uh-huh. which lights up under luminol. They don't like to call it blood, which is, which is what it was. Mixed blood of Amanda Knox and Meredith Kircher together in Philomena's room, which was the other roommate. So if that were the case, then the DNA would be, Meredith Kircher's DNA should be commingled with Philomena's DNA, right? If you're thinking about mm-hmm. correct, not, it doesn't happen. So it all sort of, right. falls, it's all really in the details. And I think we're in a very slick, surfacy culture. So I don't think that these um, the details of the case, obviously they get dismissed or totally ignored by the documentaries or the podcasts or are glossed over. But um, if you actually look at the case, it, um, look at the details, it's these, these um, lines of PR fall apart. Exactly. And what's crazy to me is in this day and age with, all this media, mass media, social media, whatever, uh, you have like Damien, you have Amanda, you have Avery constantly appearing on on, on TV shows, on uh, Damien, on podcasts and stuff like that. And uh, once you take like five interviews that Amanda Knox did, uh, did uh, it They're blows my mind how people can see how narcissistic <laughs> and lying and twisted she is. It's like... The saying goes, give somebody enough rope and they'll hang themselves with it. Exactly I could pretend that I was Damien. I could pretend I was Damien and sit down and do an, an, an interview and I could tell that interviewer every single thing that he tells them. I would pass for him if I put a costume on and pretended I was him. They know exactly <laughs> what he's going to say to every single question. Exactly. And, and people. Same exact people, way. That, and they like to say, like, oh, just because he lied doesn't mean he murdered someone. Well, newsflash, if you're, if you're not guilty of something, why in the world would you lie? You're a, you're, you're a twisted soul if you're lying and implicating yourself by lying if you never did anything. And, and Damien lies about things he doesn't have to lie about. If he came on this show right now and told me the sky was blue, I'd open my window to check. You know, he lies mm-hmm. so god. Right. Yeah, I always say the right. truth is simple. I mean, the truth is simple, and and it's not just Amy, and it's uh, it's it's Jason Baldwin as well. I mean, every single time he says a different thing. I mean, every single time it's a new lie about the the lake knife, and 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 he's just. I mean, why lie so much? The truth is simple. If you didn't do it, then you didn't do it, and there would be no evidence against you. Period. Exactly. And now moving on, uh, move on to prosecutors. Um, the big bad, big the, bad prosecutor. Yeah, the big bad wolf of the story. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's some kind so, of a. It's what are all these pros- prosecutors getting out of being these corrupt? Like, what do they think they get out of that? They're not all going. I don't to know. I think. Office. I don't know what they think they get out of doing all of this. The whole conspiracy right. thing. Um, well, and sometimes then it's a lot of times it's people who should know better. It's people who should mo- know better making allegations. For example, Rabia Chaudhry, who is an attorney who practices law, 
who presumably has been in a courtroom and tried a case, she got all upset about sequestration of witnesses at one of Adnan's post-conviction hearings and how it was so wrong and it was just a prosecutor targeting her or, or trying to hurt Adnan Syed. When she knows in any trial, in any hearing, if you have witnesses who are going to testify, until they testify, they cannot be in the courtroom to hear the testimony of other witnesses. (laughs) That's normal. It's unusual when an attorney doesn't ask for sequestration from one side or the other. She should know better, but she makes it appear that the the prosecutor is doing something wrong by not letting her sit in the courtroom and listen to all the witness testimony. And then the other two, you know, Susan and Colin, they don't correct her and say, no, come on, you know that they're not supposed to do that. Why, you know, why can't they, they all three of them. Well, no, because that they're, what the rules it, are. that fits with their agenda. So they'll, they'll make the same point. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the there was a claim, and it was against Judge Barnett when Christopher Morgan was called to testify. He was facing drug charges in federal court at the time. He invoked his Fifth Amendment right and wanted to consult an attorney prior to testifying. Judge Barnett was legally obligated to honor that. And yet he was doing something wrong by appointing an attorney for Chris Morgan and then allowing Chris Morgan to plead the fifth. Oh, my God. I've never even heard that before. Wow. This was many years ago. But, um, I mean, and and this allegation was made, again, by an attorney who claimed to be a criminal defense attorney. And knows the Constitution. And the rules. And should know the Constitution. <laughs> um, you know, it, and I actually had it out with him. I was like, if your client was called in another case, even unrelated, and a judge forced your client to testify, refused to allow you to be present, refused to allow you to consult, and refused to allow your client to plead the fifth, how would you handle that? Well, with a complaint against the judge. But yet, just because he wasn't very bright, worked. so he fell into the trap. Yes. <laughs> so, but I mean, that's something that a lot of times prosecutorial misconduct claims are based on things that are actually routine procedure, common in any okay. trial, and they're either being made by people who have no clue or people who should know better and know that they're making a that's stink the, about nothing. That's the, that's the worst part. When people start lecturing prosecutors or police or anyone how they should do their job, I already said this in another podcast, but I'm going to repeat it. Uh, uh, you, you would never tell your dentist how to do his job or your plumber or your doctor, or your driver, or anyone else. You would, you would never tell him, oh, you, I don't think you should do this root canal. No, he knows better than you. It's his, it's his job. It's his profession. And then some layman 
whoever sitting in his chair playing Monday morning quarterback is like, oh, that's misconduct, that's jury misconduct, prosecutor misconduct, whatever misconduct. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that the things they, and maybe I'm not glad, maybe I would like to see those things make their way to court and be blown to pieces by actual law, you know, and by actual rhyme and reason. Because court of mm-hmm. public opinion doesn't have any reason, doesn't have any rules, any logic. And thank God for court. Thank God for law. I know right. I love always telling them, it doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think that they should get 75 trials before they get actually, you know, stopped. Like, how much money, when is enough? When's enough? You think they should test every single surface in a whole house? What, you think there should be like 7,562 things sent to the lab today? And tomorrow we, we check every square inch of the next room? Like, how long do you think that's going to take? And how much money do you think it's going to take? And who do you think pays for that? And that's not right. the, the standard. We don't, they don't, the standard doesn't need to be that high. The bar is not that high to clear it. But right. they know how to do their job. They're, they're, they know how to be a crime scene investigator better than the guys that did it. So they're going to tell them, no, you should have done this. You should have done this. Oh, my God, please. And hindsight like is 2020. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and besides that, uh, the thing I don't understand about, you know, the prosecution being the big bad wolf, I mean, if the prosecution is wrongfully convicting everybody, then who's committing the crime? I mean, it mm-hmm. can be that the prosecutors are wrong and, and, and the rest of the people and all of all. I mean, who, why Everyone's are they, innocent. I don't know. I there mean, wouldn't be crime yeah, out, in, out in the street every day. Yeah, I mean, we still see a lot of crime, so, Exactly, exactly. So who's committing the crimes if the prosecution are always wrongfully convicted people? I mean, it, 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 I, I, that's what I don't understand of, of this whole new true crime media that, that, that thinks that, uh, every, I mean, all law enforcement is, and the justice system is how to get them. Right. And I think it's also the advocate's idea that when Adnan Syed or Eccles, Baldwin, Miss Kelly, or Stephen Avery, when the advocate's attorneys for those people file these claims in court, the idea that the prosecution is doing something wrong by not saying, oh, okay, give him a new trial. I mean, Ravia Chaudhry has repeatedly said she wants to punch the state's attorney who's been working on Adnan's Is that uh, claim. Is that her name? Yeah, Thiru. Yeah. Um, I think there's some bias That's there. Fine. She's Pakistani. <laughs> He's Indian. Pakistan was part of India years ago. You know, <clears throat> I don't know. But, or he's not Muslim. She should learn how to control you know, herself a little bit better. She doesn't give the, she doesn't really give a good wait, um, view of someone that should behave with a little bit more of a code of conduct. Correct. I, I would not want to be all across the aisle from her in one of her cases because if she loses, she's going to want to punch me. And not recognizing, you know, she lost because of lack of evidence. Mm-hmm. Lisa? Yeah. Or she will address that point. Or she will harass you on social media very, very, very much because she's very active on social media. Yes, Roberta. I, 
I've seen that well, too. I think Look the what point happened is with it's the, not with so much. Scale. It's not so much. It's I think it's just rallying up the supporters. So she may know what what the rules are uh, in court, but it's just making it look unfair for Adnan. So Serial's already made this bond with his supporters and Adnan, and that every it's everybody the world against Adnan, and you're either on Team Adnan or you're not, right? So right. just rallying up the supporters, and I think at this point, even if the supporters feel that Adnan really is guilty, I think some of them know, it's that they're uncomfortable with him being punished any further than he already has been. And I think that's also right. something that we're not talking about. It's uncomfortable to watch someone be punished for a crime. It's it's, you know, being in prison is horrible, right? So it seems even even if you they are guilty. I'm not saying it's it's not right, but I think it's uncomfortable for some people to live with the fact that some people are punished, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I just object to an attorney misrepresenting the law so exactly. egregiously. It's disgusting, but it's just rally up the troops, make it feel like they really targeted him because he, you know, 9-11 hadn't happened yet, but it it was all, it was a thing against Muslims. They had to get the Muslim Mm -hmm. honor student. That's who they're going to pin on this crime. I'm sorry, Nicole. No, I was like, I'm thinking the same thing. Like, it was eight years prior to 9-11, so there wasn't Islamophobia, like, there, no, yeah, it was two years, Nine, 1999 to 2001. 1999, well, I mean, then and you know, what scares me is she was like talking to law school Mike... students. <laughs> and it's okay Sorry. to go after people's jobs and their livelihoods. Like, now look at what happened with Soren Scale. Like, and it's okay for people to just attack, you know, every state's attorney. You can attack um, Colleen Barnett. You can attack, you know, people that did the the forensic crime scene investigation for Sandy Melgar. You know, you can go after all these people and just attack them. It has a really long-lasting effect on the, their ability to, you know, put food on the table later on. And it's just not correct. It's not, yeah. It's, it's be more careful. But if if uh, if, if somebody you know made complaints because Rabia does not as an example, doesn't display very um, uh, professional behavior on social media and in some of, even some of her, her talks, which I'm sure she's being paid a lot of money for. Um, and so if somebody reported her to the bar in D.C. or to the firm she worked for and she had some consequence, she would be the victim. Absolutely. And yet when they do the same thing to Colleen Barnett or – the crime scene blood spatter uh, in Melgar, they're you know they're do that's that's right that's fine they're not a victim, but our side they deserved good, it. Their side bad, yeah they deserve yeah. it. Yeah, bad they're bad people, 
I mean, it's it's really crazy, like the character assass assassination going on, and it's like people say you can't speak bad of the convicted. It's like oh, you're just attacking his character, and then they flip around and they attack the character of somebody uh, trying the case, you know. And it's like the person is on trial. His character is part of the crime and part of the trial. Correct. I mean, once uh, like in the West Memphis Three case, uh, one of the scenes in Paradise Lost that I actually found really convincing, and that other people, supporters mainly, like to drum up as uh, uh, satanic panic, uh, the brilliant move with, uh, what's the other prosecutor name, Davis? Or, uh, I, Brent I, Davis. Yeah, Brent Davis. Yeah, Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his brilliant move, once he got uh, Damien into a corner testifying about the, the <laughs> uh, alphabet. Yeah, about Crowley. That was a magnificent yeah. move. He cornered, he cornered him, and he, Damien, you could see in his eye that he got caught, and he was lying his way like any other teenager caught red-handed in doing something would lie really badly and on the spot, thinking, "Oh, what am I going to do?" And uh, and and people like to say, "Oh, that's like uh, a satanic panic or whatever." No, it's establishing that the guy is lying. He's lying about knowing and reading about uh, Alistair Crowley, a person who wrote extensively about sacrificing children as a way of obtaining power, which Damien was mm -hmm. uh, obsessed with. Obtaining and he would have just admitted it power. from the get-go. It wouldn't have hurt him. And yes. Yeah. And, and, and then he, he says, oh, I know a thing or two about Crowley. And then you write uh, uh, coded, coded names, your name, your best friend's name, your son's name. And goddamn Crowley's name, and you say no, Crowley. I right. just I just picked his name out of a no, freaking lineup. Yeah. You know, no, he's a really important person in your life, and you like his teaching, his books, his everything. And that was for me, that was a magnificent move. Other people think uh, well, it's another. That was a masterful move. A way that supporters dealt with that. I mean, he was the first I'm one sorry. that he that, that said that. When when the police or the detective asked him who did this, he said Satanist. He was the first one to uh -huh. pick it up, the first one. And then he says, Nah, I don't really know anything about it. I mean, he was lying to his teeth. Going back to what Yvonne was talking about, one of the funny things. Um, uh, hey, Brad. Um, one of the funny things was that that paper was seized from Eccles' jail cell. And passed on to the prosecutor. And there were actually people who argued it was illegally seized. Well, it's not. You can't. In violation of the Fourth Amendment rights. You, you don't have any rights. Exactly. Anymore. In jail, in jail you have no you Fourth want. Amendment rights. But there were people who, to minimize that, said, well, that was all illegally seized. So it doesn't count. Hi, Brad. Here's where, here's where and, and you know that, that I'm probably 70, 30 for the innocence uh, to a degree, but here's where I'm having an issue, and, and, and it's this, is that if we dig deep enough in probably each and every one of our interests and or likes, uh, you're going to find something that, that could be assumed by the public to be negative. And I, whereas I, this Al 
Aleister Crowley thing. I'm not as infatuated with his obsession with Aleister Crowley and or anything of that nature as an a, a preempt. I mean, an assumption of his guilt in this case. Um, like I said, I think we could go back and you have an infatuation with murder cases. Does that make you a murderer? No. Mm-hmm. It's just something I, I, you're interested I, in. I can answer that. I, I think it's something that, that even non-supporters didn't want to talk about, which is Aleister Crowley. So if you're, it goes to mindset at the time of the murder, and Damien Eccles denied it on the stand being a, a Crowley devotee. And you go back into his history where he had um, a, a wanted to sacrifice his firstborn, right? Aleister Crowley said uh, uh, he talked about, Damien Eccles himself talked about the occult elements of the crime. So it goes to a mindset. It's not that anyone could be picked up. It's that this person, without an alibi, who someone else has, has included you in, in a confession, uh, it goes to motive. It is very important and integral to this case. And I think people who are non-supporters shy away from it because they don't want to seem like they're uh, uh, panicking or into it themselves or sort of it makes gives it like a, it's a weird element of this case. But you look at Damien Eccles to this day, is everything he does is about the occult. Everything. That is his oh, premier interest. And it's not, it's not uh, like uh, my me. interest in reading. It, it, it's very different than, than my interest in, in reading uh, true crime books or something else, something else. It's very specific to this crime. And when you look at Aleister Crowley, you said you get the most, uh, most power from killing young boys young um, of this age and done in threes and on a full I mean, it, just, it goes on and on, right? Oh no, and I'm not going to disagree that that Damien Eccles is doesn't make it easy for one to actually support his innocence. I'll never say that. But at the same time, we'll go back to the confession. Um, you know, it's, it seems like everyone overlooks the fact that that everyone overlooks the Miss Kelly confession and the inaccuracies in it from from time to time. That that we're like we're cool with it. So I mean. Well, how about how about Chris Watts' confession? There's a lot of inaccuracies, inaccuracies in his first confession, and nobody's saying that that guy's that guy's innocent, right? So, you know, you look at Miss Kelly. He, he did he confessed six six plus times combined. It's not just on Miss Kelly's confession, um, and the fact that he said he was trying to throw the police off. It's that he confessed. Against the advice of his attorney, begging him not to, begging him that it would mess up the appeal. So you, I mean, I don't want to get this into the you know, debate about the West Memphis Three, but I mean, it's not just one thing. So I mean, yeah, you can pick out, yeah, that makes it look bad. Maybe it's not completely accurate. Very few confessions are entirely uh, accurate. Also, I have to say, a lot of the perception of the confession. Even the first on June third being inaccurate is opinion or a lack of evidence, physical evidence to corroborate the confession. But that doesn't really mean that it wasn't his perception of what he did and what he saw. And you know, we're talking with somebody who we're talking about somebody 
who is not the sharpest tool in the shed. So his perception and his ability to express that and to communicate is not what it would be if Eccles were to decide to confess because he's more articulate. But I'm sure he would throw in some self-serving statements to distance himself from the culpability of the crime, and that's a lot of, too, what Miss Kelly did. He was distancing himself from culpability. Yeah, until he incriminated for the crime, did that totally rather than admitting to what he did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, there isn't really any any definitive proof that Miss Kelly's confession is at all false. There's an argument that it's not corroborated by sufficient physical evidence. Well, there was a lack of physical evidence in this case. We know that. There's still a lack of physical evidence. A lot of this, it comes from people's opinion being perceived as fact and definitive conclusive fact when it was never more than an opinion that the test, the confession, what about the confession, what specific parts are false. He always named Chris, Michael, and Steve across all of his confessions. He always named Eccles Baldwin and himself across all of his confessions. He still had him in the woods. People have talked about description of the woods being wrong and where he was in the woods and what size of the ditch. And these are all opinions that people formed that aren't really borne out. Just playing devil's yeah. advocate, but this is me remembering something I saw in Paradise Lost. But one of the big things that they were trying to uh, implode in the trial, if I'm remembering correctly, was just the timeline. They kept asking yeah, the uh, Miss Kelly, so it happened during the evening. You said it happened in the afternoon, but it really happened in the evening, right? You know, and asking him. But again, that was that was Miss Kelly. That was well. That was part of part partially because of Miss Kelly's communication difficulties um, our inability to, to articulately express himself but the time actually where they went to time part of that was again Miss Kelly trying to distance himself from culpability he told them 9 in the morning because he knew he had an alibi for 9 in the morning on May 5th he told them noon but it's too stupid to do that because he knew he had an alibi, so he's and the reason they to... continued, the the reason they continued to revisit it was because they knew it couldn't have happened at nine or noon. So, so he's smart enough to understand how to throw the police off, but he, he it's not, not even necessarily it. knowing. It's not even necessarily knowing how to throw the police off, Brad. It's putting information out there to see what the police know. But that would require, to me, that would go against the, go against the whole narrative that he's stupid and, or he's like, no, a it's IQ. not. It's, he's got, he's got street smarts and he's got some learning disabilities. Um, and he doesn't express himself well. He's not articulate, but he's not, uh, 
you know, a, a, an incommunicable idiot. Like I said, he's got some street smarts, and he lies, and he knows how to lie, and he knows how to get himself out of trouble or try to keep himself out of trouble. Those are not mutually exclusive concepts. I, I work with people who, you know, are very intelligent but very dumb. And I work with somebody, you know, I've worked with people who were not that bright but were geniuses when it came to lying. And just, uh, just because they could, they could pull the wool over your eyes. Just to make a few points and bring it back to a more general discussion because this really, I mean, I I can, but I wouldn't want this to turn into a West Memphis 3 pro or against innocence panel. But uh, in a, on a more general note, false confessions, they're like a huge part of, of, of people claiming that... Um, uh, uh, somebody's innocent, like somebody like Jay, like Miss Kelly. Uh, I, I'm sure you can think of other examples. Uh, false confessions. Uh, uh, they're one of the crowd crowd's favorites because, yes, some false convictions happen due to false confessions and and uh, bad witness testimonies, like wrong wrongful wrongful identification and and stuff like that. But uh, the problem with uh, these specific two confessions that I, I'm referring to is that um, the, there were multiple confessions made. Uh, there were confessions made against y your better interests. In Jay's, in Jay's case and in Miss Kelly's case, it was not in their interest to falsely confess to being Correct. involved in something like that. Well, well let's and and just just one more thing, and and then 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 you can say. And uh, it was against their be be better interests, and they they kept on sticking to their story. Miss Kelly changed it eventually because all the he saw it as a potential ticket out, and he could not bear his family to actually hear him say in front of them, "Yes, this I did is what I did." But he he confessed so much that you just have to draw a line somewhere and say. I, I have I to say, believe this person. This person yep. keeps when someone tells you who they are, again, believe them. I have to believe him. He's screaming it from the roof. Well, and I believe him. And I mean, let's. Okay, I mean, and we'll agree to disagree, and, and getting away from that, I wanted to ask. I guess I'll just put it out there and see what the panel thinks. But me and uh, Michael were talking on our way to a show tonight that. Uh, we were talking about the, 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 you know, the court and the judicial system. And where I have an issue with the judicial system, and this is where the panel would be pretty cool to, to bounce it off of, is, and Lisa, I guess if you want to start the discussion after I say this, you're more than welcome. Um, but my problem with the judicial system as, in, in general and as a whole is that if no longer is it the prosecutor's job to prove guilt. It's become uh, more of the defense's uh, stance that they have to prove innocence, which is a complete farce from what the judicial system should be. Anyone and everyone should go in with the burden of proof having to be on the prosecutor, but in the court of now, it doesn't matter that they're guilty because of social media and all the, well, the movements. But, 
Brad, the problem is, the problem with that is once a jury says you're guilty, the prosecution has proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the person is guilty. Then then there's no more. And yes, once that happens, the burden would shift to the accused or the, the convicted to prove otherwise. That is not... Um, but this idea that at trial the burden of proof is on the defendant is again it's a misrepresentation. Okay, well, okay, okay. Here's one a prime example, and I'm not talking about cases that are already like done and over, and they're making documentaries about. I'm talking about now that you have um, puppets like Nancy Grace and others that go out and they talk about these trials as they're happening, and let's be honest, you can say that it doesn't influence the jury, but I still believe that they somehow can get influenced. Because these people are going out here. I watched the Zimmerman trial unfold before my eyes on court TV. The whole time, what a scumbag George Zimmerman was. Can't believe he murdered this 19-year-old or whatever old Trayvon was. This, that, and the other. Never once did, did any of the media and any of the pundits that were covering this trial before a verdict was rendered and handed down, did they once say, you know what, maybe he didn't do it. Maybe that's why he's on trial today, to see if he did it. They had already pretty much hung him well, for being guilty, and they hadn't even had That's finished. another – yeah, but, but, but Brad, George Zimmerman was not convicted. Wasn't convicted, George Zimmerman was acquitted. Was, so oh, that is only the, 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 the no 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 wait wait Brad but you're confusing the media does not owe an accused a presumption of innocence I don't owe a presumption of innocence only in the court the media, the media in the court the in the court within the walls of the courtroom in the jury box the twelve jurors owe a presumption of innocence. Well, that I is think, it. I think the reason why I think the reason why Brad brings that up is because we are talking about the court of public opinion, and me and him both disagreed on this earlier. But I think that's what he means. In the court of public opinion, you can be hung quicker than anything. I mean, you look at somebody like, and me and you have done these cases: Casey Anthony, OJ. You know, and these are yeah, who were all acquitted? It, who were all acquitted in court? This is the problem. You you are using your citing cases, court of public opinion cases, where people were actually acquitted in court. Okay. Uh, and the court of public opinion, actually, the trend is to presume everyone is innocent until the end of time. Mm-hmm. What about Bundy? And I to com- he was innocent by any stretch of the imagination, but the court... The uh, media coverage, well, the media coverage leading into that wasn't exactly in his favor either, and he constantly said it. Well, he also courted it, and it just bit him in the ass. That's the he tried to get his story out there, but it bit him in the ass. The court of public opinion is what actually, and you can disagree with me if you want to. I'm sure you will. We, we hardly ever agree on anything. But uh, 
the, the court of public opinion is what really and truly got OJ acquitted. Because if you go back and no. you night and no. No. Yeah, absolutely not yeah, at all, Brad. What got not at all, Brad. Wait. The court in the court of public opinion, OJ was actually guilty as sin, but the twelve jurors who ended up deliberating in his case are the ones who acquitted him, who would not have found him guilty. Lisa, what about the uh, juror that was interviewed, you know, that said that this was uh, payback? It's her opinion that this was payback for Rodney King. 92. Uh, from by, by one of the jurors, correct. They weren't going to convict him no matter what. That's called a stealth juror. But it has nothing to do with, quote, court of public opinion. I mean, I agree that those jurors had alternate alternative motives. Well, here's for what the thing. they did because because after that happened, all of like the people the people that are guilters like after that happened, we take our lumps and we're like, okay, you know, it happened in the court. They the jury said no. They didn't feel that it was beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what their verdict is. We have to respect it. It doesn't happen on the other way though. Somebody gets. Correct. If somebody gets convicted, people are just like, no, we need another do-over and another one and another one. There's never any respect for what the, that's our judicial system, and it just that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. And you win some and you lose some, but the, but it has to remain that way because it has to be fair all the time. So they don't take their lumps as easy. I don't know. Like, I would always right. say, be able to say that, like, I was completely 100% wrong if, if say, you know, there's a video out of somebody else committing a murder than somebody that's on trial for it. Then I would definitely be able to say, well, I was wrong. But it seems like on that other side, no, it's constant just do-over after do-over after do-over. And that's Correct. not, that's not um, very realistic. And I agree that the court of public opinion can go both ways. Like you cited, the OJ case is a prime example. Most of the public are, were absolutely convinced based on, on the things they knew that he did it. And yet he got acquitted. And, and uh, the, the important fact is that the court of public opinion should never have any influence over what happens in an actual court. Because in an actual court, you have two sides, and they get equal opportunity to address the same evidence. You have rebuttals. You have you have cross examination. Cross you have mm-hmm. yeah, you have a chance to shoot down whatever the other side is saying. In the court of public opinion, it's not the case. It's a shout factory, and and nobody actually wants to uh, nobody actually wants to see, uh, cede any ground. You know, nobody actually wants to concede anything. And and I agree in that sense that the court of public opinion should not have an influence on what, what actually happens in the court. But then again, I have to 100% agree with Nicole is that the, the people who think that OJ is guilty, they got really mad and grumpy and whatnot when he got acquitted. And that's it. You say, oh, this is a travesty of justice, and you leave it at it when somebody... When somebody mentions it, you say, well, that was a travesty of justice, and you move on. I don't harass OJ's family. I don't harass OJ. I don't leave angry tweets to him. I don't do anything like that, even though I think he's guilty. But what do mm-hmm. uh, supporters 
Damien Eccles of Avery of Adnan, what do they do to me? They scour my Facebook profile and they 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 keep saying they uh, nasty stuff about me, about my girlfriend, about my dog, about whatever they can find about me on the internet. They will say horrible things boss. because yeah. because because and I they, dare to they, say somebody is guilty. I mean, and that's also also part of the courts of the public opinion. But then again, I would never want to influence the the actual court. I will respect their decision. I will just respect it and and move on. And and right. Yeah. And they and they target you know they target the police officers, the detectives, the prosecutors, the judges, the state's attorneys, and do the same thing. I mean the the stuff with Ken Kratz, you know. Granted, yeah, he made some mistakes, and he's not you know, the warmest, fuzziest person on the planet, but he doesn't deserve this, the crap that's done on Twitter and social media platforms and web pages and things like that. Um, Nobody does. So, no, and no, like I said, no one does. And I don't, I don't, I did post questions to Baldwin during that little chat, but, you know, I don't generally even look at his page. Because what he has to say, I have no interest in. I want to butt in here, though, at the same time. And obviously, me and you both, and I think all of us can agree, maybe maybe not, I don't know, but Casey. Casey Anthony, she still gets, you know, hate mail. They still talk about, you know, her having to change her address every few months and so on and so forth. Because people find out and they hound her and stuff like that. So I don't think it necessarily ends. And unless I'm mistaken, I believe O.J. lost tons of money just over the fact that, you know, he was accused of murder and things like that. So I don't think necessarily you can say it ends when they're rendered not guilty and they say that, you know, well, oh, no, it does, I, I, I didn't out there on I, I did not mean to imply that it ends in the court of public opinion. The court of public opinion is never ending. It will go on and on and on. It will be around long after we're all gone. And again, some people, I don't agree with it. I don't think that they should do it. But I also kind of wonder sometimes, because Casey Anthony has this big thing about secrecy and undisclosed locations. She's been doing that since 2011. Um, but then every now and then she pops up and gives, starts giving interviews. Mm-hmm. And you see her on Twitter buying a new vehicle. You know, I wonder who she's stealing money from to get that vehicle. But, you know, that's another story. But, um, you know, that is, it doesn't end. I'm not I'm not saying it does end. I think what Ivan and Nicole and, and perhaps Meredith were, were saying is that people who tend to believe in guilt, when a person is acquitted, we move on. We're not happy about because it, but we move on. it's better for one person that's guilty to go free than for an innocent to ever be put away. And that's the way that it has to work. It doesn't, our Correct. system doesn't work without that. So it has to be that way. But the Sucks. people who but, <clears throat> are innocenters, um, they, you know, they can't do that. They get invested emotionally. I think that's the thing. People who believe in guilt can keep some emotional distance from the case, mm-hmm. 
And people who believe in innocence tend to be emotionally invested because they they relate to the convicted person or there's a family connection or something along those lines. So there's a little bit of difference there as well. You know, I, I cried when Casey Anthony was acquitted because I thought it was terrible that so that I. little baby was not going to get justice. And an, another thing... But you know um, what? I actually agree with their verdict. You know what? They shouldn't have went for murder one. They shouldn't have done, went for the death penalty. I actually... I understand why the jury came to their decision. I do. I hated the it jury. So much, but I understand the jury actually had a lower um, – the the jury was actually given, I think, a a death as a result of child neglect charge they, they were. There was or a manslaughter charge. Drop it down to. Yeah, there was, second degree or something. Mm-hmm. So the, the jury did not have to find her guilty of first-degree murder. Right. It was not an all or nothing. They, they did have some lower – I mean, I think at – more likely than not, I think that the – well, no, not more likely than not. I think that the prosecution did prove that Kaylee died as a result of some sort of neglect. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally thought that she went to the boyfriend's, left Kaylee in the car. It was hot. Maybe Kaylee had some NyQuil or something to help her sleep. And when Casey finally thought to go back to the car, Kaylee was dead, and she panicked. Mm-hmm. So and, and then thing you know made it look add- made it look worse than what had happened by wrapping duct tape around the child's head mm-hmm. and dumping the body off. But when they couldn't even decide, you know, what the manner of death was. Um, you know, what the cause of death was. Um, well, Nancy Grace made a good point. So Casey Anthony is rewarded for desecrating her child's remains no, by putting yeah. them in a but, swamp for six months. That's why they couldn't determine a cause of death. Mm-hmm. Same, well, it's not yeah, incompetence. It's what was left of the body. Yeah. Was a skeleton. And you can't determine uh, a cause of death from a skeleton unless you have knife wounds or bullet wounds. Right, but you but you can't also um, you'll never be able to prove that she did or didn't do something. So there was no way around that. Just like right. the boys in West Memphis getting put in the water and it washing away everything. Right, but no, I think what what the the cause of death, asphyxia, strangulation, bullet wound, head wound, or blunt force trauma, knife wounds, those kind of things without an intact body for like strangulation, hypoxia, um, uh, hypo- hyper, hyperthermia, hypothermia, too cold, too hot. If you don't have soft tissue, you don't have anything to know whether the brain, the body was deprived of oxygen. 
or was too cold or too hot. And so that, again, not being able to determine how Casey, Kaylee died was not a result of not wanting to know or not being competent enough to make the determination. It was a result of lacking sufficient data yeah, to make I just, a determination. No, I understand that. I'm saying that, like, but at the same time, you can't – it leaves enough doubt. There's just a tiny bit of uh, enough doubt that you would say, I know she probably did this, but there's just nothing there to say that she definitely did as far as Well, and, and manner, as as cause, and, cause and manner of death don't always prove who done it. Right. Well, I mean, I'm like, homicide, you know, there's no you know, doubt. There is no doubt that, and I think that's, I think that's something that the jury perhaps misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to add something on the overall, uh, overall scheme. Um, I, uh, like on, on one side you have people believing that uh, the prosecution, the police and everybody is lying to frame somebody. And on the other side, I don't believe that everybody on the defense side is lying. I really don't. Sometimes I, I do think that certain people like witnesses or something have the best intentions in heart and, and are testifying out of the goodness of their heart, believing that the person is innocent. And I always have to ask myself, what does the person on the other side have to gain by lying? Not the other side, but on each side. Like, what does the prosecution get by lying? What does the police get by lying? If the police lie and frame uh, an innocent person, what they get is a killer on the street who might kill again, and they might suffer extreme consequences because of that. And what does the defense get from lying? On, uh, 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 in the best-case scenario, they get an acquittal. In the worst case scenario, they they just don't get believed, and and that's it. That's the that's the reason. the The standard for lying, the bar is higher. Honestly, in my in my eyes, in my opinion, the bar is higher for prosecutors, for police, for everybody on the state side. It, it's it's a riskier move to lie and try to frame somebody than for the defense. It it always is. I'm sorry if I derailed from the Casey Anthony case. I just oh no 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 no, no problem. There. I just wanted to get it out there. It was like a point I wanted to make ten ten minutes ago. So there it goes. Better off. <laughs> I mean, do you yeah, think yeah. that we would be better off with a jury system that was like how it is in some other countries? Like they have professional juries. Do you think that would be better? Well, in in Serbia, uh, where I live. They, uh, the judge is the sole arbiter of, of the truth and facts. So you have prosecution, you have defense, and you have the judge. And he listens or she listens to the arguments of both sides, and she's the judge and the jury, as, as, it, as the saying goes. And uh, on, on one hand, the, they are professionals, like they used to be lawyers, prosecutors, tens, twen- tens or 20 year, years of experience in, 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 in law. And on the other hand, you only have to convince one person. So it's susceptible Mm -hmm. for corruption, and it's easier to convince a single person than 12. So in my Mm -hmm. opinion, I I value more the – I would put my faith more 
in convincing 12 people, random people that have no knowledge of law or whatever. I would rather put my faith with them and and make them decide than let a single person who is an expert uh, decide what's true or what's not true. My humble opinion. Mm-hmm. I agree. Right. It happens the same way I'm from. It's just the judge and, and that's it. And and it's not that there's no corruption. Of course there is corruption, but not every time it's, there's mm-hmm. corruption. Not all the time. That's what the innocent, yeah. that, that, that's what the innocent <clears throat> side always said. It's, oh, no, every, it's corrupt. It's corrupt and not all the time. Right. Of course there is. That's where you have to think and you have to do your research to really find out if if that is the case or it isn't. Right. Exactly like the you know, the claims the trial was unfair. But when you ask how was it unfair, what was unfair? There's their, often their side lost. a deafening silence. And and most yeah. of a lot of times and this goes with, with arguing effective assistance as well. If the person was convicted and you don't think there was sufficient evidence, the trial had to have been unfair. And the attorney had to have been ineffective. And the trial mm-hmm. was unfair because their preferred side lost. If I lose a Correct. game, it's unfair. It's not fair. And and, mm-hmm. and that, that's also a good point. Once you ask people for... Uh, that that's a, like uh, people like making blanket statement uh, statements. It's like travesty of justice, corrupted investigation, mm-hmm, yeah, investigation. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's blanket dramatic. statement, and and it's it actually so it, it's it's really dramatic, overblown, and it it actually makes my my point much easier because if I prove a single thing was not a travesty of justice, was not a horrible investigation, I win. You lose. Your argument crumbles. If I prove a single mm-hmm. thing was right, then then your your whole argument falls apart. It wasn't horrible. It was this horrible. Was testing this. Was was uh, was interviewing. Uh, what was around more? I think it was even more than a hundred people in the West Memphis Three case, for example. Interviewing more than a hundred mm-hmm. people was that a, a bad investigation? Was it not detailed enough? Was testing? You see the lab results, like uh, listing the items they picked up, they tested for this and that. Was that shoddy investigation? I mean, where where do you draw the line? And who's who's the mm-hmm. arbiter here? Who says okay, this is enough items, this is enough witnesses, this is enough investigation work or whatever? I mean, it just uh, to use a famous quote, it just doesn't make sense. There's not enough resources in the world to do the amount of testing that these people want done and the amount of do-overs. It's just not, I mean, like, like Addie said, there's still crimes being committed. So if there, every single person is, is um, dishonest and framing and corrupt or whatever, why are we still having the crimes? Who's doing them? Right. Not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. Who? The person did it themselves? Exactly. And it's funny, like the West Memphis Three, no similar crimes occurred in the 18 years, even though the two allegedly better suspects and real killers were still out there. 
That's you know, that uh, nobody could ever quite explain that. And just imagine how galvanized the killers would have been if they knew they got away with it because the case was so politicized. Right. Yeah, they would know that somebody else took the blame. Why wouldn't they strike uh-huh. again? Somewhere else, anywhere else. They would be like, I'm untouchable. A person on a power trip, as the person I believe that Damien Eccles and others were the, the people who did it, but uh, it, let's, for argument's sake, let's say it was somebody else. Somebody who was on a power trip uh, after successfully getting away with it, they would do it again in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. I mean, it just... Where, where, why hasn't another even remotely similar case happened anywhere near West Memphis if, if Memphis. the right person was not caught? I have, I have an honest question about this based upon the statement you just made about if they got off, they would definitely do it again. And the reason, the, the thing I want to ask is, so are you saying that every killer would then be a serial killer and would have that ability to go on a killing spree because, hey, I got away with it once, I'm going to do it again? I'm sorry, I'm not following. I don't understand the question. The the statement would say that if a killer got off and they had somebody successfully framed for a murder, that they would do it again or they would be inclined to do it again. So does that mean that every Look at killer Ted Bundy. a serial killer and constantly frame other people and things like that? Well, no. Look at Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy. Look at the body counts that they were able to rack up because they were not identified for very long periods of time. Exactly. It's it's something that gets them Where's gets that? them going. They. The gentleman is speaking I mean, right if now. You, hey, you made the statement, though, that if that the prosecutors are – I don't think that people are saying that in every single case that the prosecution is framing people and the defense is lying or whatever. I think you have those certain cases where that happens. But you made the statement, and it was a based statement, <laughs> that that this wasn't just something random and I'm not saying I don't even want to know I'm saying if they if there is another killer out there then then you make the assumption that they're automatically now a serial killer based on the fact that they were able to get away with it in such a nationally notarized trial. And I don't believe that that's an assumption that should be made. Um, well, I mean, we'll have to agree to disagree yet again. But when you look at the crime and the way it was committed, and, you know, with the excessive brutality, with the tying up, with uh, with the nudity, with everything that happened, it screams of a power trip. Somebody on a power trip... Uh, using excessive force on somebody much, much weaker than they are, and a person who who has a tendency to to exert such power over others, knowing that they got away with it while everybody was searching for them, I I can't imagine them not being galvanized to do something again just to test their power. They're really powerful now. Get inside their minds. They're really powerful. They got away with it. Not only did they get away with it, but somebody else is rotting in a cell for what they did. 
did uh, I right. can't imagine somebody randomly doing that there there was nothing random about uh, except maybe I mean there may have, I don't want to make a blanket statement there there may have been some random aspects but a lot of it was was how do I say uh, it was with intention they were tied up with intention they were concealed with intention they were stripped nude with intention you know so I can't imagine it's like a kid taking some money out of his mother's purse his mom doesn't notice it the kid's gonna do it again he took the money he knows he can get away with it and he's gonna keep doing it until he gets caught i mean that that's just my perception it's it's I, I feel the psychological state of mind of somebody committing something getting away with it would galvanize them to try again it's 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 simple if you can do something you'll try it again so, and there's so the, 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 the exhibit. And that's, we've I mean, seen that with Bundy Gacy. So we're safe to say. The Hillside Stranglers. And even Damien and the, th- and the two other gentlemen, because technically they've been released from prison. So now they've got a power trip saying they can get away with it again and be released. No, because they're them, still convicted. They no, have felonies. Suspend, they have a, a suspended imposition of sentence like as well. Two more years and they're not together. They are not together. They are separate. And they technically didn't get, get away with it. They're twice convicted. They, they served 18 years, which is more than a lot of people serve for, for murder. For murder. Which drives me insane. Exactly. Who lets three killers out? They would never let them. It's called parole, buddy. They do it every day. People do it every yeah. day. People get, murderers get out of jail. I don't know and why you think that they wouldn't. Years of, spending 18 years of your life in That's a, a prison, good I would of time. call it getting away with it. It's the opposite of getting away with it. Correct. Just and that was also a deal was that was... get out for parole. That was come up with by his attorneys, not by the state. And and technically, Damien is on a power trip. He's flaunting his occult beliefs freely as he wishes. He oh, writes he books is. on it. He's he posts, he posts oh. uh, Photoshop pictures of him. He posts a Photoshop picture of him in a Crowley pose opposite mirroring Crowley. If that's not flaunting power, like... Look what I did! I got away with it, quote unquote. Got away. You, he, he didn't. Well, he, but he, he, he loves it. Life he to... Yeah, and and he technically well, he is on it. a power trip. He's flaunting his love of the occult freely, and that's something he screams like, "Oh, that's what got me convicted, satanic panic or whatnot." 